Hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to find Acts chapter number 27. Acts chapter number 27 this morning. Uh, there are 44 verses in Acts chapter 27. And uh, we're going to get through as much of this as we possibly can. Acts chapter number 27. For those of you that are our guests, my name is Shane. I'm the senior pastor here. And we've been going through the book of Acts from start to finish. And this is it. I mean, this is, we're coming to a close here now. We are in chapter 27. Next week we'll be in chapter 28. And then we'll continue the journey as we continue to fulfill the Great Commission as Paul was doing. And uh, we are just, I'm very excited about uh, wrapping this up. Some have said, where are you going next, uh, Pastor? Been praying about it. We're going to take a little bit of a break. There's a couple of messages that are on my heart I'd like to preach. And uh, then we'll jump right back into exposition uh, regarding working through a book again. But this will complete the book of Acts next week. I'm very, very excited about it. When you look at Acts chapter 27, what you're going to find, the, the big idea to be, is just simply this. That faith in God's providence can spill over and impact unbelievers around us. So what I'm saying is all it takes is one sold out, born again child of God that loves the Lord with all their heart and the joy that's contained inside of that saint can spill over into others around you and impact them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in Paul's life. Uh, Paul, remember, he's been in jail for two years now. And uh, Festus says, when it comes appropriate time, when I get enough prisoners and all, I'm going to send you to Italy. I'm going to send you to Caesar. Remember, the Caesar during this season of, of life is Nero. He's going to turn out to be one of the most vicious, awful Caesars that had ever lived. Uh, he is going to persecute and he's going to murder Christians on a regular basis. And so we find that's who Paul is going to stand in front of. But before he gets there, he's got to get there. And it's him getting there that uh, seems to be a real challenge, him trying to get to Italy. So here we find ourselves in this passage of Scripture, chapter number 27. I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing because of uh, time, but I do want to point out this passage of Scripture really falls naturally into three parts. And so I want to point out these three parts today if you're taking notes. Uh, if you're a type A and we don't get all the notes, if you'll just see me later, I'll make sure all your blanks get filled in and help you out with that, okay? So first thing, number one, the first thing I want you to notice is the, the first natural break it's beginning in verse number 1. It goes all the way to verse number 8, verses 1 through 8. And what we find here in the text is this, that the providence of God sets our course. The providence of God sets our course. What I mean by that is simply this. Because of God's sovereignty, God is sovereign over all. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, the course has been set for you as we journey to go be with him. So the course has been set by God, and whatever that, and our course is all the same. We are all going to be with Jesus as born-again children of God. But the providence of God will have us ex have experiences over the course of our lifetime that we at times, Judy, may not understand. There are going to be things that will happen that are contrary to what's being taught today by a lot of preachers that preach the social gospel. Hey. 
Now, the social gospel just simply says this. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, everything good's going to happen to you. All your cares, all your worries, all your challenges, all your suffering, all these things are going to pass away. You're not going to have that experience anymore because Jesus is going to live in your heart and everything's just going to be wonderful. The only problem with that is it's not true. You're going to experience difficulties as a Christian. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have people in your life that are close to you that are going to die. It's going to bring much sorrow into your heart. And God will allow those things in his sovereignty to help grow you up and you put more and more dependence upon him so that you will reflect his image. God wants you to be a reflection of him. He dwells inside of you as a born-again child of God. The Holy Spirit rests inside of you. And while everything's just not uh, uh, wonderful uh, tulips and roses, your perspective on what God's doing in your life makes all the difference in the world if you know that His providence is guiding you to where He wants you to be. And and so as a born-again child of God, when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I didn't know that I was going to start getting bad eyesight. Social gospel says if I'll just have enough faith, God will heal my eyes. The only problem with that is just simply this. God may have given me poor eyesight and and, and degenerating eyesight so that my faith and dependence will be put upon him all the more. And so if there's anyone that knew that, that was Paul. Paul uh, had something was going on in Paul's life. Something was happening in his life. There was something going on health-wise where he needed some attention. We're going to see that here in just a few minutes. But we know that he never allowed for that in his life to stop him from knowing that the providence of God has set his course and he is going to share the gospel as the providence of God has prepared the way. And in part of that providence of God, here here he finds himself in jail for the gospel's sake, preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ and seeing that Gentiles come to know Christ as Savior. He says, I am a Roman citizen. I want to stand before Caesar. After all the trials, he says, okay. Festus finally says, okay, as soon as I get enough prisoners, I'm sending you to Caesar. I'm sending you to Italy to stand before Caesar. Nero. And here we find it, and we see that as God has set the course for Paul, there are basically four things that we see here in this area. Number one, the first thing is the introduction to the journey. Look at verse number one. Verse number one, we see the introduction to the journey, and we see the people that are involved. Notice what the scripture says. And when it was determined that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and a certain other prisoners, plural, a lot of prisoners there, unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. So here we're introduced to the people. Now, just notice real quick, if we could in passing, who is all involved here in this introduction. Number one, the first thing we see is the term we. I would underline that because the word we is speaking of who, whom is writing this letter, whom's writing this book. Who is writing the book of Acts? Luke. Luke is writing the book of Acts. So Luke is saying, I'm involved here. I'm on this ship too. Uh, I'm going with Paul. And Paul had that wonderful privilege because Paul, whom we also see here in the text, we see Paul there. And Paul is probably the only Roman citizen that's on this ship. Everybody else, 
uh, is a prisoner. Everybody else is uh, Jewish and we find, uh, or, or another nationality, but we find there is Paul on this trip too. He's the only Roman citizen there, so he has certain rights that he has, that he can have. Some of those rights include he can have people with him. Luke is journeying with him. He also has another guy that's journeying with him. He's found in verse number 2. He's mentioned by name. Look at what verse number 2 says. And entering into a ship of Aramatium, we launched, meaning to sail to the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica being with us. So Aristarchus is with him. Aristarchus uh, probably... Um, was portraying, he wasn't telling the whole truth here, he probably was portraying as Paul's slave. He's saying, I'm, I'm Paul's slave, and I go wherever he goes, and call me a personal assistant or whatever, but I'm going with Paul wherever he goes. It is a form of dedication that we find here in Scripture that is closely related to how we need to be tied to Christ. I mean, he is dedicated. He is willing to go wherever Paul goes, even if that means to prison. And so here he's on the ship with them. Then also we see the prisoners, and we see a gentleman by the name of Julius. He is a centurion of Augustus' band. So he's in the army of Augustus. Here's, his name is Julius. He's a very interesting character because he knows Paul as a Roman citizen. And because Paul's a Roman citizen, he's going to get special treatment. So the first thing we see here is the introduction to this journey with the people. Then I want you to notice from verse 2 down to verse number 8, there are three legs of this journey. There are three legs of this journey. They get on this boat, now this ship, and they take a journey, and that journey has three legs. The first leg of the journey is them arriving in Sidon. That's in verse 2 and 3. Number 2, the second leg of the journey is they're arriving in Myra and Lycia. The third leg of the journey, they arrive at a place called Fair Havens. That's verse 6, 7, and 8. So what you're finding here in chapter number 27 is really a travel um, log. That's what you see here. Uh, they are logging the travels from Paul starting in Caesarea by the sea and going to Italy. And he did so with these three Legs, And so we see the providence of God sets our course. The course that God had for Paul in presenting the gospel was for him to be in prison, get on a boat, and take a journey. And as he was taking that journey, one thing I want you to notice is found in verse number 4. Notice what the scripture says. And when we had launched thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, one of the things I want to point out here in the text is simply this. This was not just getting on a boat and sailing to Italy on these, on these three different legs. It was a very, very difficult ride. Passover was over, which means that these, these guys that were on the boat, many of them, they were fasting, they weren't eating anything, they were participating in Passover, uh, so to speak, and so they were practicing some of these religious rituals that they were doing. And during this season, when they celebrated, every year it was the same season where they had very bad weather. And the bad weather that they had here in this particular uh, passage of Scripture came every year. As a matter of fact, when you look at verse number 14, notice what the Scripture says. The Bible says, But not long after there arose against a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. I don't know if you ever heard a, um, 
a weather forecaster talk about the the northeaster, talking about the northeaster when the northeastern winds come down and they cause the waves to gather. And This is what the Bible is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. So it was very, very, very bad weather. And what we find here is as the winds were contrary to them, they had to do a nautical move called tacking. They had to zigzag back and forth against the wind trying to get to these locations. But what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. When you think about the providence of God on your life as a born-again child of God, there are some journeys that are harder than others. And the winds can blow against you. And they can make it seem like, my goodness, we're stopping. I feel like I'm stopping every 30 minutes. I just, man, I just don't seem I can catch a break. What's going on here? And what God is doing with those tempestuous winds, with those violent winds, with those high waves, with the difficulty from getting to point A to point B, is that God is trying to make you see that your faith and your confidence is placed in Him. And if He'll bring you into a storm, He will take you out of the storm. Remember, Paul had already received from God this promise. You've been faithful to preach in Jerusalem, Paul. Now I'm going to send you to Rome. Paul knew that God was going to send him to Rome. He didn't know how he was going to get there, but he knew he would get there by the providence of God. And through the providence of God, his course was set. But getting there was not easy. And it's not going to get any easier. In fact, it's going to get a little bit harder. The second thing I want you to see here in the text is found in verses 9 through 20. In verses 9 through 20, the second thing I I see here in the text is that the providence of God can cause, can cause, hopelessness. The providence of God can cause hopelessness. I've met many born-again children of God who have Jesus in their heart. When they die, they know they're going to go to heaven. But they feel like in seasons of their life that this is a hopeless situation. In fact, you may feel like that right now in your situation. I I want to just let you know, we see this in Scripture. In Scripture, there were those that were going through this mess that felt like, man, this is hopeless. This is a hopeless situation. We are going to die. I want you to notice, if you would, in the text, just a couple of things. Number one, I want you to see the warning of Paul. Paul warns them in verses 9 through 12. Notice what the Bible says, first and foremost. He says, now, when much time was spent... And when sailing was now dangerous because the last was now already past, Paul admonished them and said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Paul says in verse number 10, this is all he's saying. He says, Guys, the winds are so strong, the weather is so bad, If we get back on this ship and we try to get to Italy, we are going to be in trouble because we're going to lose the cargo. That's the lading. We're going to lose the cargo. And we may quite possibly even lose this whole ship. That sounds like a hopeless situation. Paul says we cannot, we cannot stay 
here, or, or we have to stay here. We cannot go any further. Verse number 11, notice what happens. The Bible says, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which Paul spoke, which was spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter, that means to accommodate uh, where they were at, this little haven that they were at, it could not accommodate them for winter. They could not camp out there for a couple of months. The Bible says, The more part advised to depart thence also uh, by it any means that they might obtain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. So basically what we're seeing here is that the owner of the ship was looking at the bottom line. What he's saying here is it wasn't that they could not uh, winter in that, in that haven. He was saying that they could. There just wasn't a lot of bars there. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of activity. They, the, the Walmart was 45 minutes up the road by camel. It was hard to get to is what he's saying. It was a difficult situation to stay in for the whole winter. And the bottom line is they were going to lose money. So the owner of the ship says, we're pressing on. Verse number 13. The Bible says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose a great, great and a tempestuous wind called the rock, the rock, excuse me, the Eurocladon. That is that, that being the northeastern wind. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, and having much work to come by the boat, which they had taken up, they, they, uh, excuse me, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand and strike sail. And so we were driven. Quite, quite interesting. The Bible is just simply saying in the text that the wind was so strong, they literally had to tie ropes around the hull of the ship to keep it from breaking apart. This is a hopeless situation. The Bible also goes on to say in verse number 18, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lightened the ship. So they finally said when daybreak came, they started throwing cargo over the ship. We're going to lose it anyways. So they started throwing cargo over the ship because they just knew that they were going to die. Verse 19, And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Now remember, God has promised Paul he's going to Rome. In this situation, Luke writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, it looks like all hope of being saved has been taken away. What do you do when you're at the end of the rope? What do you do when the ship is going down? What do you do when all hope has been lost? For the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, that's easy. You trust Christ as your Savior. Trust Him as your Savior. Repent of your sins. Come to Jesus Christ. What about us Christians? What do we do when we feel like all hope is lost? 
Well, what do we do when we've been faithful to the Lord in all of these difficult times? And instead of things getting better, they just keep getting worse. What do you do? Could I submit to you just this one practical point? Stay faithful. Stay faithful. I don't know why God does what he does. I don't understand it. I don't know why he does things the way that he does things. I do know this, according to Scripture, he does not do things the way I do things. God's ways are not my ways. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are his ways. And the sooner we recognize and realize that God is going to do it his way, and the, and the reason why he's doing it his way is because he knows that way that he's doing it in your life is what you need to put your hope in him. And so, see, you have a choice. You have a choice whether to decide to put your hope and strength and faith in Jesus Christ during this hard and difficult and tempestuous storm in your life or you can throw up your hands and say all hope of being saved is lost. If you read the end of the book, I'm talking about the end of the Bible, we win. We win. And the sooner we get to the place as a born-again child of God and realize that death is a doorway. Death is a doorway into the presence of God where we leave this world behind. We leave behind the wars. We leave behind the rumor of wars. We leave behind all the difficulties that exist in this culture, in this world today. The sickness, the difficulties, the, 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 the hard times, the arguments, the fights, the anger, the bitterness. All of those things are over when we step into heaven, when we step into heaven uh, and be with God. And so while we're here in this boat, the Bible calls your body a temple. While we're in this temple, the things that push against us, God allows for those things to come into our life so that we can develop and have the mind of Jesus Christ. It's just a matter whether or not you're willing to accept it or not. Luke says here in the text, that we thought all hope that we should be saved was lost. So we find here in this text, uh, we, we see not only that Paul's warning, here Paul's warning, but we also see that the wind and the storms led to this despair. And there are three things about this despair that I, I really feel like are worth noting. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is the false confidence. Look at verse number 13 one more time. False confidence. Look at what the scripture says. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed to Crete. To Crete. Uh, they put confidence in the weather. It looks good. Let's put confidence in the weather and let's go. It's not blowing too hard. Uh, I can remember early in my ministry, we had just had Alyssa, my, my firstborn. She's just a baby. Someone came to me at church and we were taking a vacation. We didn't have any money. Uh, we didn't have anything, but we were going to go on vacation. And a family came to us and said, hey, look, we, we've got a camper on Lake Weiss uh, in Alabama. And we want you guys to go stay there. Just you and Miriam and Alyssa. Y'all go and y'all just enjoy the whole week. 
Well, man, there's an answer to prayer. We get to do this. So uh, we, we got there. They drove over there with us, made sure everything was set up, knew, made sure we knew how to use everything. And before they left, before they left, Dennis, this is what they said. They said, look, the only thing we ask is if you leave, put the awning up. If the awning is out, put the awning up if you leave uh, because um, it's expensive and just really don't want anything to happen to that. He said, no problem. Put the awning up. Got it. So they left about two days later. Beautiful sky. We got up and fished. Not a cloud in the sky. Not a wind blowing at all. We had to put the awning out. Had the little baby pool underneath the awning. And Lisa was swimming in that. And uh, Miriam's parents called and said, Hey, why don't y'all come for a visit and uh, eat supper with us? We thought, that's a great idea. Great idea. They just lived 30 minutes up the road. And so we said, well, let's go. And I said, well, we, let's put the awning back. Let's put the awning back up. And... Uh, we looked around, and I thought about it a minute. I said, this wind's not even blowing. We don't need to put the awning back. Let's go. And so we got in the vehicle and drove. Well, y'all know the story. I mean, goodness, y'all know what happened. It didn't rain in Gadsden, but it rained over there at Weiss Lake, and the wind came. And when we pulled back in that evening, <laughs> when we pulled in and I pulled into the spot, something didn't look right. And the air conditioner was on, and that awning had ripped off of the camper and had blown all the way on the other side, covering up the uh, air conditioning. We never got to stay in that camper again. <laughs> all because I put my confidence in the weather. We see a false confidence here. Number two, the second thing I want you to notice is a, a forced confidence. Verse 14 through 17. i got to hurry. I'm out of time. There's a forced confidence in verses 14 through verse 17. They forced their confidence upon that boat. And they did everything that they could in the boat. Let's do everything we can to the boat. How many times when we're going through a difficult trial, say, let's do everything we can to this body that we possibly can. Beat it into subjection. And then the first thing I want you to see is failing confidence. The last thing there is verse 18 through 20. Finally, their confidence completely failed. Why? Because they were putting their confidence in man, not on God. And then here's the last thing I want you to see very quickly as we close up today. I want you to see the providence of God can validate your faith. Everybody said there's no hope except for one person. There was one person on that boat that knew that hope was not completely lost. His name was Paul. And beginning in verse number 21 all the way down to verse number 44, we see that the providence of God in Paul's life validated his faith. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, but not long or not uh, after long absence, but after a long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of these sailors and said, Sir, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and take gains this harm and loss. I love Paul's personality. I love, I love it. In essence, Paul says, I told you so. If you'd have just listened to him, I tried to tell you. <laughs> Verse 22. And then this is where Paul differs from us. I would not have let them live this down. 
I'd have said, I told you so, and I would have rode that thing all the way to Italy. <laughs> Not Paul. Paul said, you should have listened to me, guys. Then look at what he says in verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. <laughs> he says, so cheer up, cheer up, you bunch of losers. Cheer up! For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whom, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given you all them that sail with you. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told to me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come and we were driven down to uh, Ardia, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. So twenty fathoms is 120 feet. So they're saying the water was 120 feet deep at that moment. And when they had gone a little bit further, it was 15 fathoms. That's 90 feet deep. They, they measured it 90 feet deep uh, in this area. Then fearing that they should fall Upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, out of the back of the boat. They threw four anchors out of the back of the boat, and they wished for the day. And when the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down their boats into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. So you see what happens there. They threw the anchors in, the boat stops, and the prisoners and some of the guards say, The only way for us to be saved, the only way for us to live, is to get in the lifeboats. we got to get in the lifeboats. So they left the lifeboats down. But Paul says, If you leave the ship, anybody leaves the ship, you're a dead man. The Bible says, then the soldiers, in verse 32, cut off the ropes of the boat, and they let her fall down. So they said, ain't nobody getting off this ship. And down the boats go. Nobody is in the lifeboats. The Bible then says in verse number 33, and while the day was coming on, Paul besought them to take meat, saying, this is the 14th day, and you guys hadn't eaten anything. You've been fasting, so you need to take something to eat. Verse 34, wherefore, I pray you, take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not be a hair fall from your head of any of you. And when they had thus spoken, he took bread and he gave thanks for it in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were of good cheer, and they also took meat. And when, and we were all in one ship, two hundred, three score and sixty souls. That's 276 people. So the total number of people that Paul is ministering to that has gone through this terrible storm is 276. And the Bible says that when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and they cast out the wheat into the sea. And the Bible says when it was day, they knew not the land. They discovered a certain creek in which a shore into which they were, they were minded. If it were possible to thrust the ship in there. So they, they saw where there was a river coming out of this inlet. There was this inlet, and here comes this river out, and they say, if we can put the boat in there, if we can just run it aground right in there, we'll all be saved. 
And so when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and they made it towards shore or they made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas meet, that's where the river's coming out and where the sea is, they're trying to, to, to thread the needle there and get it right in there. The Bible says they ran the ship aground and the fore, and the fore part struck, struck fast. The front of the ship jammed into the, into the land and it remained unmovable, but the back end was broken up with violent waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim and escape. But the centurion, who's the centurion? Julius. But Julius comes on the scene, willing to save Paul, kept him from their purpose, and commanded that they should swim, or those that could swim, should cast themselves into the sea first and land, and then everybody else jump on a broken piece of wood and float to shore. And it came to pass they escaped all safe to the land. What happened here? What happened here is that the providence of God validated the faith that Paul had. Now, the Scripture does not tell us that all 276 individuals received Christ as their Savior. But you can rest assured, as the story continues in verse number 28, they're not done with the gospel presentation yet. And so we find here in this passage of Scripture the life of Paul, how he received Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, Paul's life was pretty good before he got saved. Now, mind he was very religious. His name was Saul. He persecuted the church. The Bible says he's a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew everything they need, they, he needed to know about religious law. But as for a lifestyle, it's going pretty well. He had everything that he needed. And when he got saved, God literally knocked him off of his horse. And from that moment on, Paul encountered trial after trial after trial after trial after trial. Why? I'll tell you the reason why. Because he's a born-again child of God. That's why. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you are presented with the fact that the real enemy against you is the devil. And the devil is called the prince of of the power of the air. He's the prince of this world. And the enemy that we face from him is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he attacks us with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He will do everything in his power to get you distracted off of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has a plan for you, that God loves you, and that God is going to be with you, and he is going to mold you like a potter molds a piece of clay. He will mold you into his image. You just got to be willing to let the potter mold you. And so by the sovereignty of God and by the providence of God, as he has set the course from your life, I am asking you to recognize that sovereignty, to recognize that providence, to recognize that the challenge that you are going through has been set by God so that you will be more like Jesus. And by doing that, just as Paul did in his trial, by doing that, You see Paul's faith in God and the providence that he has set for him be able to minister to people he was never able to minister to before. 
You realize Paul's a prisoner and Paul is telling these guys what to do on this ship. He's the captain of the ship spiritually. Brothers and sisters, I think probably one of the greatest examples, I got to close, I'm out of time. We got to leave. They're gathering out there. They're coming. I think probably one of the greatest examples before us today here at Maysville Baptist Church concerning the providence of God, how he has set the course of one of our believers here at the church, and how that course has brought tremendous trial, hurt, pain, agony, fear at times, even hopelessness. But they have never abandoned their faith and it is brought and is bringing great encouragement, not just to us as the congregation, but to everyone that hears her story. And that is none other than Miss Michelle Letson. If you have not heard her testimony, I, I, you need to hear it. You need to go to the website. You need to find it. it. We do a podcast called Rejoicing Together where we celebrate God's goodness in our congregation. We introduce you to a church member and what God has done. Um, it's amazing how she's handling her cancer. Uh, Nate just did a recording Wednesday night of a man, member of our church, one Sunday afternoon decided to leave church and go back home, sat in his living room, and while he sat in his living room waiting for his family to get home from church, a truck left the road, plowed into his house, shot him like a cannon, off of the couch up against a brick wall. He's alive today. He loves Jesus with all of his heart and said, God, use that to draw him closer to himself. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what God wants to do in your situation. Father, my time's up. Thank you for the opportunity I had to uh, share just a little bit about this verse. Lord, I didn't get through everything, but I got through what you wanted me to get through. So I pray, Father, if there's someone here that's never trusted you as Savior, that today would be the day they do so. Lord, I love you. I pray your blessings now on this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.